All right, we have two readings today. The first one is from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. And you can find that on page 2 of the Pew Bibles if you'd like to follow along or you can follow on the screen. <coughs> page 3, sorry. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took and ate ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And our second reading comes from James chapter 4, verse 1 to 12. And you can find that on page 1218 in your pew Bibles. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealousy longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Hi, everyone. 
Let's get sorted. It's good to be with you. And, um, James continues to push and challenge us, uh, and today is no different, as you can tell from that passage that we just had read to us. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll get stuck right into it. Heavenly Father, we, we give you great thanks for your word, and as we engage with it now and engage with the uh, challenges of fighting and quarrelling as your people, help us to put that aside. Help us to see your word, turn back to you and seek to live for Jesus. Amen. All right, so is there, I want to ask you, is there any more kind of perfect, beautiful example or picture of division, a microcosm of it, the moment when children, siblings, teenagers fight with each other. The battle that ensures, the battle that continues on when each isn't getting what they want. It can start with playing, it can start with fun and it can turn into a metaphorical bloodbath. I'm not going to relieve my childhood uh, baggage. My brother deserved the bloody nose on Christmas morning when he was annoying me and all the other instances. I'm not, I'm not going to bring them up. But I bring up that idea because now you all have to admit, yeah, okay, I've fought and quarreled in my life because if, you've haven't, if you don't have siblings, well, you've done it with your friends and if you've got siblings, you know how much you've fought with them and quarreled with them. We've all fought and quarreled. But the world is divided. The world is very divided. And if we zoom out a little bit more from our focus and we think, well, not just kids, parents fight. They fight with their kids. They fight with their spouse. We fight with our friends. We zoom out a little bit further and we see the world amongst us is just in total disarray. It is divided. Let me ask you, those of you who work, how often each week at work do you encounter a fight or quarrel amongst your work colleagues? Whether it's management, low management or equal or you with someone lower. How often does that happen? It happens weekly. It happens all the time. Sometimes you're so wrapped up in it, it causes great stress. How often are families are brought to their knees over fighting over money and inheritance. We can zoom out a little further and we see there's division and fights over where people live in this world. We've got no idea, the people of earth, how to deal with where people live and how we think about security, how we think about our national identity and how we care for everyone and we have division. Worse still, the endless, and I say endless, murder and destruction of people in war, the killing, the collateral damage of families and children because nations are seeking to control, keep their power, keep their sovereignty, gain more power. The last century was so bloody and despicable. We forget that when we talk about how unified we are as a race. The world has a divided heart. I don't think 
I really needed to elaborate like I did to convince you, did I? But what we're going to do today is even just focus on this a little bit further because James brings up fighting and quarrelling. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to look, we're going to kind of go through the passage with four questions. You can see them on your outline on page uh, page five if that's helpful for you and then a bit of a wrap up at the end. <coughs> and what we're going to see is as we kind of engage with these questions, how we're to deal with this struggle to fight and quarrel. Hey, if you've got the Bible in front of you, keep it open in James 4. There's no, no slides today, just I want you to keep the Bible open in James 4. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Chapter 4, verse 1. Because it's easy for us to do what I just did and look out, isn't it? Oh, look at all the division in the world. Look at all the hate. Look at all the fighting and quarreling. Our, even our nation has all its dramas. We can do that. Even if we want to say humanity has great capacity for good, those who love to do that, and those who are most optimistic on the future of humanity, which I'm not sure how you get there, we have poverty, war, Refugees, terror, racism, and the list goes on. But with this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? I've kind of set up a fake introduction. Because James isn't dealing particularly with that there, is he? He says, among you. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to churches who pick up this letter and he says, what causes these fights among you? James's endeavour through this whole letter, we have seen time and time again, is to share his wisdom that he's gathered, drawing on Jesus, we've seen particularly the Sermon on the Mount and the Proverbs which he's soaked in, drawing on that to consider what devotion to Jesus looks like and he's concerned that the people who should be devoted to Jesus struggle with fighting and quarrelling. And so he's saying, okay, brothers and sisters, you love Jesus. What is it that causes a divided heart amongst you? It's not, look how bad it is out there. It's time to look at ourselves. And it flies in the back of last week's passage, which Jack opened up for us, the context of last week being all about wisdom. And where did wisdom end in that passage? If you've got it there in front of you, where does it end? What is the idea that we need to have if you've, if you've got the passage in front of you at the end of um, chapter 3? Yell out the word. Can you see it? Instead of, quite, uh, instead of fighting, what are wise, heavenly people supposed to be concerned about? Peace. The wise are peacemakers. And as soon as we've heard about being wise and being peacemakers, he says, but hang on a minute, you guys need to deal with your fighting and quarrelling. He starts to ask, by asking a question so we can get to the root of the problem. And if you've been in good churches all your life and you've not seen strife in church, um, but I, I suspect for many of us that's not the case, the reality is 
this side of heaven, God's people, the church, has been riddled with conflict. I'm really thankful to God that the churches that I've been involved in since I've been a minister have not had any major strife. When I was in Sydney, churches around me fell down because the parishioners were fighting. All sorts of disagreements can happen in church and tear the church apart. Sometimes the the church continues to function and looks fine, but when you scratch under the surface, you see pastors don't talk to each other. Sometimes you can see trainees and pastors don't really do any training and and, and, uh, learning because they don't... work well together sometimes you have friends in a church who are going on really well and then there's some problem that's got nothing really to do with uh church life but they let it affect them not even talking to each other when they turn up you have uh, community groups that disintegrate you have peers who are a great group of friends and then all of a sudden you've got two groups of peers because you've got cliques there's the little fighting and then there's the disastrous churches time and time again falling apart because of fights and quarrels. Let me qualify, we're not talking about those times when maybe someone in the church is denying the gospel and we need to stand up and rightly in a godly way never ever let Jesus be compromised. That's not what we're talking about clearly when we see what James is going on here. I will fight that tooth and nail to my death. What we see here is that moments with our potential to cause fights and quarrels. Now, you may all of a sudden go on, yeah, yeah, that's happened in the churches over and you've already started again to look outwards just in church now. Yeah, that person did this to me or that happened in the church I was at. What about us? What about you? Because the potential to fight and quarrel is something all of us have and it's the problem which is the reason why the world is so divided. Look at how verse 1 continues on. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? What's the battle? I, uh, it, it's almost like the obvious, obvious question is this great. It's one of my favourite ever quotes in uh, in TV history, in The Simpsons, when little Ralph, if you don't know Ralph, he's, he, he's not the smartest kid in the world, and and um, and, it, and the principal says, now there's a battle going on, it was like the Civil War in America, and this little boy's voice goes, what's a battle? And the, the principal says, did he just say what's a battle? And I was like, does he not know what a battle is? Do we not know what a battle is? A battle is when you've got two things that are fighting against each other. And here we're seeing that there's something inside us that is fighting against each other. And if you right now are going, what's a battle? We need to get it clear. Because you see, the problem is we have a tainted humanity. And if you're a Christian, if you love Jesus, you're redeemed from your rejection of God, but it still lingers. The old lay of life is not completely done away with this side of heaven. And James is saying, don't let this battle 
Don't let these other desires win. When it happens, you deal with it, which is what we'll see. The problem is on the inside, not on the outside. That's why we don't keep on looking out to everyone else and why they're the ones fighting and quarrelling and forget ourselves. It's why I have a problem generally with fruit. Because, okay, you can tell when fruit's rotten, when it's really rotten, but so many times you just bite into an apple, it looks fine on the outside, and you bite into it and it's just this flowery, not tasty mess. I can't handle eating horrible fruit. It's just one of those things. So I just stick to lolly bananas and claim that's the fruit intake I need for the day because I can trust sugar, just being sugar. Our problem is on the inside. It kind of can't see. You look at me, you look at you, and you can't go, oh, there's the problem. And the problem is described as all of humanity is totally depraved. That is not to say we are don't have the capacity to do good. We're made in God's image. But that image is completely and utterly, totally corrupted. That is why we had the Genesis 3 reading today. Because all of humanity has the problem that starts here. Did you notice when Beth read uh, Genesis 3... And that the whole drama plays out, the serpent's being crafty, he's changing God's words, God's words, he says, well, did he really say that? And then and then Eve, the woman, says, well, she changes the words to saying, no, 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 it's a little bit more than what God said. That's the backdrop to what I want us to see today. Because when she sees the fruit, after the deception and the interplay goes, when she lets the serpent get in her, in her mind... And then she starts to change what God had told her. You get to verse 6 and you read, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took and ate it. She took the earthly wisdom of last week. It was desirable and so took it. It was pleasurable in her mind, so she took it. That is the beginning of humanity's problem. The rotten inside, where the image of God has been tainted. God made us to be rulers under Him, to display His character in that rule, and we all turn away from that and want to take. There's a great passage in um, Romans chapter 5 in where we get that clear. This isn't just something that happened that doesn't affect all of us. Paul is trying to show them how they're saved by Jesus and his death and resurrection. He wants to give them assurance and hope of their salvation. So he reminds them of this story of what happened and tells them, that means all of you have this problem. Chapters, chapter 5, verse 12 to 21 is a great passage. Let me read to you the first verse of it. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. It's come to all of us. 
We start in this place. And so we have the capacity to fight and quarrel and to reject God. The desires, the battle within us, because we see what God does not want us to take, to put ourselves in his place, to covet his glory, to reject his holiness and live another way. And what do we do? We let that battle take over. And there we have the picture of a divided world. But as Romans 5 goes on to say, as as, uh, we get clearly over and over again, Jesus came to pull us out of that predicament. His death rescues us from that sin. The The desires that battle within us have been dealt with. but we still are not fully redeemed yet. Jesus has not returned. Heaven is not here right now. And so we have this battle. And so James wants us to be clear. Just because you're the people of God, remember this battle that's within you. Don't accept it. It's not okay. And so the second question we need to look at is what does this look like when we allow a rejection of God's ways in, which causes fights and quarrelling? What does it look like? Well, look at verses 2 to 4 of James. You desire, but do not have, so you kill. Remember, Eve desired. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on, uh, what you get on your pleasures. See, what does it look like? When you seek pleasure, power, possessions and prestige at all cost, you seek to achieve them at any means and fighting and quarrelling is just the way you go about it. Your desires are not the godly ones. Wanting something so badly that you will destroy whatever is in the road of getting it. It's an interesting one, verse 2, you desire but you do not have, so you kill. Is he talking kill as in actual, that's happened? Or is that metaphorical? I... I don't think we can presume either way. Christians have great capacity to sin and maybe James is referring uh, to times when that's actually happened. Maybe it's the idea though that when you desire something, you destroy what is ever in the road of stopping you getting it. If you desire physical pleasure and you must have it, you're willing to destroy your marriage in light of it, is to kill the marriage. Whatever it is. These desires to covet something, to want something that is not yours. How do you get something that's not yours? Well, you steal it. You 
go around the back. You figure out a way of turning people against each other and taking it for yourself. You tear people down so that they get fired and so that you can get the job. Have you ever heard, I don't care what anyone else says, I just need to do this. Desire is actually a good thing. God made us to desire, to desire him, to be in relationship rightly with each other. I desire food. Last Saturday night, Christmas in July, that food was desirable. Yes? Yes, it was. The relationships we have with each other are desirable. Sexual desire is desirable and good. God's way. The problem of desire when you destroy and cause fights and quarrels is because you're distorting what the desire is or the object of your desire is wrong. And when the object of your desire is wrong and you don't have easy access to it, you'll do whatever it takes, including tearing others down. See, coveting is an old school word for a modern day disease. We are so materialistic uh, in the Western world. It's astounding how fast we've gone and technology has brought us this way. Technology, which is supposed to solve everything, also brings with it a desire for more and more and more. How many phones have you had in the last 10 years? The time before that, we didn't even really have them. That's right, younger people. We actually went to uni without phones and without... um, I don't even think I had a computer when I was... Anyway... um, what we have, what we have is this desire for things. And this desire for things means we'll sacrifice people to get them. Can you see how this approach in the church is completely destructive? And so, if we seek pleasure at all costs, We're seeking as much happiness as we can determine now and forgetting that ultimate happiness is the eternal pleasure we have and it lasts forever and it's immeasurably better. What if we seek, as God's people, to seek pleasure in the experience of Sundays that we just make sure we get what we want out of it, that we're not willing to talk with other people because we won't enjoy that conversation as much. What about power? Wanting to be in charge of my little kingdom now instead of forgetting the privilege of the rule we've been given by God who's the ultimate king. What a disaster it would be if we may grow the little kingdom and our rule and you were my subjects and this was your place that you loved and it was the most important thing there was. Grow will not be proclaimed in heaven. The glory of Jesus will be. We need to remember the power is Christ. What he's done for us.
But there's little power that we seek. In our little sphere of whatever we have, we like to have the power in the situations. When we like to be the control freak, we like to have the power. And this is actually where it can be really destructive in a church, can't it? When you're doing something, you've got a responsibility. So many of us love to serve. Grove, it's fantastic. But when you're serving, you have a little moment of power. How do you deal with that? You can cause fights and quarrels or you can serve humbly like our servant saviour. I've talked about possessions. What matters to us? Are treasures now? The treasures of what we have as a church or our heavenly home? Prestige is actually something God has made us for. I don't know if you've thought about that before. God has made us to want to be acknowledged. But not at the, at, uh, with each other. It's a God acknowledging us as his children and us bringing glory to him. Wanting prestige by the wrong person eats away and causes fights and quarrels amongst us. I don't want anyone to think that they need my approval. That will help them in their Christian walk. And they'll do anything they can to get it. That would be disastrous. And don't for a second think that that's just me saying to you. There are many um, great uh, ministers and elders that I look up to and which I could fall into the same trap and cause divisions and quarrels amongst the pastors in the Trinity Network, if I so chose. So, what is the consequence then of a divided heart? Look at, um, look at verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That is such a just harsh word. You adulterous people. It seems to me that society is really in a mess when it comes to adultery. Time and time again, so often we hear... I don't know if you've noticed this, I certainly have, that adultery is becoming more and more, that's just what happens these days. People can't help themselves, lots of rationale about, it's okay, we're built with these desires and it just happens. On TV show this week, I just heard the sole advice of this person consoling their friend was, it's what people do, every marriage has adultery, stop sulking and get on with your marriage. Wow, that's such great advice. Not... It's so prevalent. And yet, at the same time, society knows how destructive it is and how damaging it is. It destroys relationships. It's psychological damage. It's financial consequences. It's hard to see past that as well. This destructive, damaging way, James is saying, is how God's people can treat God. God is rightly jealous for his children to be his children and not to go off and have other fathers. 
And when we choose the world side, when we metaphorically sleep around on God, we are saying we are not his. Desiring the things that are not of God is to say to God, I don't belong to you. Especially when we think about infighting of God's people. It's not okay. It's never okay. It's so never okay that James makes the point, friendship with the world means you're an enemy of God. You can't have both sides. Choose to be a friend of the world. God does not see you as a friend. God is not an each way bet. He is all in. No quarrels. So what path does a person devoted to Jesus take? Look with me at verses 7 to 10. One of the struggles I had with this passage is I just think there's so much in it that I could break it into probably three sermons. So I have to leave things behind. But what path does a person devoted to Jesus take in verses 7 to 10? Let me just point out some things in that. Let's read it first. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. What is the path of a person who's devoted to Jesus when fights and quarrels happen? It's repentance. That is the picture we see here. It is quite clearly never forget repentance is turning back. It is turning back to God. That moment in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, where you decided that he is your Lord and that his death for you saves you and you acknowledge your sin before him was the moment where you turn back to God in which he saves you. And because of that moment, you spend the rest of your life, this side of heaven, when you're struggling with sin, when you get it wrong, turning back to him because he saved you. Living repentance. And so we see, submit yourselves to God. Don't flirt with the world. God, I am yours. See the devil's way? No, I don't want that. I'm going to come to God. Verse 8, come near to God. When you're struggling with fights and quarrels, turn to him in prayer. So the best advice, I may have said this to you before, but it truly is some great advice and it's really great when you've got enmity towards someone else. Let your anger and seething hatred and annoyance with someone else happen at the same time as you pray for them. Have a crack at that. It's not possible. You can't be angry and, and fiercely, uh, uh, fiercely despising someone and going down a path of fighting and quarreling while at the same time saying, Dear Heavenly Father, help me to show grace to this person. Help them to see that what they're doing and struggling with isn't right. Or help me to change. <laughs> it totally changes your mindset and attitude. Of course, you're coming near to God and His ways. That's really helpful, I think. Think, wash your hands. 
It's purify your hearts. You double, stop being double-minded. Turning back to God is to say, okay, yeah, I need to own up to the times where I am contradictory. We all are. Don't like it. Grieve, mourn and wail. Don't think it's okay. One of the most important things for God's people is when we get it wrong, it's not to be okay with it, to turn back to him. It's one of the first keys to someone who's in real trouble is when they then start to think it's okay. Humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And he lifts us up by his humbleness. Through Jesus, we are lifted up. It's a beautiful picture of repentance that James has given us here. Repentance day by day. Where we turn back to God. See, I think when we struggle, and I can think of times when I've fought and quarreled, it's so important to be quicker to acknowledge what I've done wrong, not to let seething, not to let anger and frustration get in the way. We need to turn to God. And so verse 11 to 12, which you don't have time to go into, but I mentioned when we talked about the tongue, brothers and sisters, do not, let, uh, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against the brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. We need to have a higher priority, no matter what happens, that everyone else here, never ever from my tongue would I slander. It should be for everyone, but it starts with the the community of God's people that we have been uh, given to live life together. And if someone does, does... make that mistake to you, which will happen. We won't do this perfectly just because we thought about it now and we commit to it. Resolve yourself not to come back. Remember the wisdom of the peacemaker. You be the peacemaker this time because one time later maybe you'll, you'll make a mistake and you, you'll need someone else to help you. Work really hard and not gossiping and slandering. I think if I was to, uh, what keeps me up at night? So one of the things that will keep me up up at night, and on one level I think it's the right thing, because if I wasn't concerned about this, it would be a problem. But what keeps me up at night is what if this whole thing falls apart? What if this all falls apart for whatever reason? And I need to trust God, and I need to be faithful and responsible I also need to, by uh, by the grace of God, do the best to not let fighting and quarrelling infect our church. And I say this is that this is my responsibility because you are to follow my lead in that. To not let this ever happen. It's with absolute joy that I can say that I don't really see that as an issue for us in that big things have happened. It's always an issue to deal with, but we're not confronted with it at the moment in any way that I can, that I can see. It's a joy. But do we want to let it, just ignore it? I think not. And so as we uh, finish today, I want us to take stock 
You can see there in the outline, take stock and acknowledge and take stock and turn back. I want you to, in a fresh way, in a new way, maybe with new eyes, maybe if you've had blinkers on before, acknowledge your capacity to fight and quarrel. Remember that Jesus has not brought us together as his people to have a divided heart, but to be united around him. If you're not a Christian, if you're struggling with the whole, what's this Christianity got to do with? And maybe for some people, they see the Christian community in all its its division and infighting. And it's a reason why that you think, well, this whole thing is stupid. Hope today you can see that it's because we're all battling with the human problem. As God's people, we get to do it from the position of being redeemed, longing for the time when we won't have these mistakes. And sometimes these mistakes have impacted us massively and we can't get past them. But God wants us to. If you're not a Christian, I think the challenge for you to consider today is whatever way it looks in your life, you need to stop fighting with God. Jesus does not change. The head of our church never fought and quarreled wrongly. Our brother, our Lord, humbly gave his life when we were fighting and quarrelling directly towards him. And if you're doing that, the offer is for you to embrace it. If you're still struggling with it, that's what life course is for and that's why we love doing it. And all of us need to turn back, asking for forgiveness, seeking change. If there's anything outstanding in your life that you know, I have pretended that I haven't done this for too long. We need to turn back to God. A renewed commitment to not fight and quarrel and the times we let it slip through, we deal with it in a godly, wise way, seeking peace. We don't just want peace, we want to be peacemakers. And so I thought today, as a different way of um, finishing our, our talk and our application, and to make it a little bit more uh, real for us, I think this passage reminds us of how we need to acknowledge before God that we get it wrong and that we need Him, that we need to turn back to Him. It's good for God's people to do that together, to say that together, remembering the forgiveness that we have. So the final part of my talk today is to say, it's a confession together. If you are committed to being a peacemaker, you know that you get it wrong as a follower of Jesus, we can pray to him knowing forgiveness. And I'd love, can you just go um, to the next uh, slide? Uh, Thanks, Nathan, Uh, Daniel, sorry. Um, Kill my envy, command my tongue, trample down my own self. We're asking God to change those times, the battle within us, and renew us to be like him. So if we go back to the beginning, thanks, Daniel. And we'll say this uh, confession together to finish. And then after that, we're going to sing the song that was introduced before, Lead Me to the Cross. 
Because it's only the cross where we can acknowledge our sin before God and remember the forgiveness that we've had, that we have. And that forgiveness that we have is because of Jesus. Just spend a moment in your own mind asking uh, God to help you to be a peacemaker and not a fighter. And then I'll lead us in this prayer. Together. Lord Jesus, I sin. Grant that I may never cease grieving because of it. Never be content with myself. Never think I can reach a point of perfection. Kill my envy. Command my tongue. Trample down my own self. Give me grace to be holy, kind, gentle, pure, peaceable. To live for you and not myself. To copy your words, act spirit. To be transformed into your likeness. To be consecrated wholly to you. All entirely for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Forever grateful for the forgiveness that comes by his blood. Amen. As the band comes, comes on up to lead us um, in the song Leaders to the Cross, we're reminded that we have forgiveness when we confess our sins as in 1 John. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness.